Let's, uh, let's pray before we go any further, because I want to pray over um, the scriptures and, and the word as we dive into um, what God's doing. So, uh, God, we just, we, we come before you who we are right now. And we just, we pray the scripture reads us. We pray that it reads the, the depths and, and dark places of our soul and our heart. We pray that it finds those parts that are, that are bright and in the light, uh, where our hopes and dreams reside and where they, they, they overflow to the surface and come out in our conversations. Lord, we, we just say, show us your word, show us its application um, so that we might be like Christ, walking and living and talking and eating and hanging out um, with those um, in order to engage that they may know God and uh, certainly Christ uh, more clearly through the power of the Holy Spirit as he works and discerns in us. Uh, we love you, Lord. We're so thankful you're a good word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Ezra chapter 4. As we're in there, God is here. We are here series. So I'll just give you a little, a little runway um, to find that. Ezra chapter 4 verse 20. Um, in the God is here, we are here series, we, we see in the book of Ezra... The same goal, well, we have their goal, which is to build relationship through relatable places, passions, and practices that draws people closer to God. So in these, the book of Ezra, in these first four chapters, which spans a, a hundred years of a time frame, they're rebuilding the temple and they're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem in order for God to better engage, uh, more intimately engage with the people of the world. So that they might come. So they're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the homes. They're rebuilding what was once um, a lighthouse and a, and a beacon to the ancient world and saying, here is where God is and we're here too. And you can come and we can engage and we'll go out and we'll engage. Um, so that's really the, the, the point that we're looking at here as we go through this entire sort of series as we work kind of verse by verse through the book of Ezra help us understand how we can relate and engage um, with those that are around us as we work and rebuild. So um, let's go to Ezra chapter 4, verse 20 through 21, uh, just sort of read through this uh, and, and familiarize us with what's, what's going on here. Let me give a little context before we get this. It, it just helps make it um, a better sense. So what's going on is basically for 76 some years, they've been working to rebuild and the temple and all that stuff that's taking place. Well, there are people who don't love God that are grumpy about it. Like have you ever met people who are super grumpy that you love God and they don't? So they've been trying for king after king after king after king to get them to stop living and living and living and living and living for the Lord. So they write this letter to King Artaxerxes, which we sort of prefaced that historical context last week, but um, they write this letter to him and like, all these people are saying that what they're doing is bad and this is taking place and you need to put a stop to this and here's how things are going to suffer if you don't stop God's people from being God's people and, and stop doing what they're doing. So he does, King Artaxerxes does some research, it's very specific and a little thing, doesn't get the full picture, but he gets part of the picture and he writes this letter in response to get them to stop doing the work. Like you ever worked in a place, lived in a place, gone to somewhere, had a relationship where they're like, look, just stop. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't talk to me about your world. That, that doesn't happen here. Well, they're facing the exact same problem. And this is where we pick up. The king of the Persian empire is, has written a letter back to them. Is like, here's my response to people living for God. 
verse 20. So, um, and mighty kings have been over Jerusalem. We're thinking of, of King David. We're thinking of Solomon, all those kings who ruled over the whole province um, beyond the river, which we'd kind of call the Middle East today, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Verse 21. Therefore, um, make a decree. Uh, this is how a king would, the word the king would use when he says, because I said so, right? What do I need to clean my room, dad? Because I said so. But I might start using the word decree because I have decreed it. And it's trash room. So let's clean that up, right? So therefore, I, King Artaxerxes, make a decree that these men be made to cease and that the city um, be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. So stop what you're doing for the Lord and you're not going to be able to keep doing it until I say you can do it again right? So that, that's what's taking place. And, and in fact, we know, and we've seen throughout all of human history that to hinder the work that God's doing, anything that's being rebuilt for God, all you have to do is stop the men of God from living and doing that work. And that's what's happening here. Verse 21, here's my decree that these men be made to cease and that this city is not rebuilt. So you stop the men of God, then you're going to slow and hinder what God's doing in a community. And that's what he's trying to do here, to stop that in Jerusalem. And then you can go all the way through human history, all the way up to the day, and that's exactly what's happening today. Let's just stop the men of God. Let's just stop men from living for the Lord. And then we'll be able to slow or hinder what God's doing. Now, this word that's used um, for men here shows up a couple times, right? It's a Hebrew word, gabar, um, which is being used. And it really shows up in just two other passages, which I think just bears a slight overview. So in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You guys know, probably know the story. If not, read it. Incredible. So these guys were, were told that they can't worship anything else or they needed to worship these other gods. They're like, we're not going to do it. Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad that they want to worship only the true God and they're not going to worship these other false gods that he heats this furnace up like seven times when they go to open the door. The, the soldiers that are opening the door are immediately consumed by the flames. That's hot, right? Like you ever been making s'mores and no more leg hair? right? And you're just like, that's hot. Now imagine you making s'mores, you open the door up and it just consumes you instant cremation. Just boom. Because these men are living for the Lord. Same word that is used and applies here. So these men in, in Jerusalem for, are trying to rebuild an Ezra. Now these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, trying to stay committed to the Lord in a, in a multiple God, false gods community. And they don't. So he throws them into the fiery furnace. So he throws them in, Nebuchadnezzar looks and he sees, wait, I see someone that looks like the very son of God. They are delivered. They come out. They don't even smell like beef jerky. There's no smokiness on them at all. Nothing singed. The ropes are gone. And then he starts, the Nebuchadnezzar what? Starts worshiping the one true God because he sees what takes place. In the same book of Daniel, we see this same word um, used for men applied in Daniel chapter 6. And it's applied to the men who accused Daniel of praying to the one true God when he should have been praying to others. So they catch him. Daniel's got his windows open. He's not trying to hide it. He's praying. They catch him in this sort of legal battle. They bring him before the king. And the king's like, yeah, you're right. And they've got him trapped. And, and they throw him down into the lion's den, right? A very famous, it's, it's a popular story. My kids really like that story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? So they're starving these lions and these lions and these lions. And they, and they, they throw him down in here. The angel comes, shuts the mouth of the lion's. 
because God's protecting him because he's living for the Lord. He's, he's, he's holding up the, the one true God. He's being a, a, a man of God among men. And he goes in there. And then he uses this, this same word for those men that accuse. King can't sleep all night long, runs out early in the morning, pulls out Daniel. Okay, Daniel's like, I'm totally fine, right? Just, just animal hugging. He's petting the lions, all this stuff we imagine. They're just, you know, doctor doodling it everywhere, right? I'm talking to him. King's so mad, he grabs the men that accuse us, godless men, them and their families and their kids, throws them down before their bodies hit the den floor. They're consumed and eaten by the lions. Now, there's two completely different outcomes that happened in those stories, right? Look, guys in a fiery furnace, not consumed, can't even tell they were in the furnace. Clothes don't even smell. Delivered by God. Other guys, them and their families pay the price. They don't even get to hit the floor before they're all done and consumed, the scripture says. What's the difference? God's the difference. Their commitment to God, their desire to live for him as men makes all of that. Think about the guys who were going in and being dragged to the lines and accused Daniel and the wives and the kids were like, why is this happening to us? Why is the king having us thrown into the lion's den and Daniel's being released out? It's because we've, we've been punished because we have pursued after husband, Dad, you didn't follow after the one true God. Now we're going to die. And that's really what's at stake, not just in the Old Testament, not only in the New, but even in our day today. If the men of God are living as a man of God, then there's a lot of suffering that's going to take place. So buckle up your bootstraps because we're about to get into this. Like 1980s action movie. Just going to start talking about the men of God. And let me say this. There needs to be more of them, a lot more, a lot more. So let me hit you with this one thing. I mean, how, how, how do we help men find and express their purpose and reason for being? God's purpose for a man is to be a godly man. That's every man that you meet. Ladies, you're trying to date somebody. This is their purpose, to be a godly man. I've got a daughter, and when she starts dating, when she's 45, I'm going to tell her. You better be a godly man because you bring him around here. He's getting shredded. I'm going to spiritual gift test that guy. I'm going to be like, say the prayer over the meal. Let's just see what comes out. <laughs> now, here's what happens. Here's what happens, guys, when we start talking about being godly men, right? Conviction, guilt, and shame. I mean, I feel that too. Like, I know that I am not the embodiment of what a godly man is. And I know that I'm trying to pursue that, but still have much further to go than I wish I did. But I'm not gonna listen to the lies that tells me that that's who I have to stay and be, but instead gonna embrace the truth and understand that um, we can find deliverance in who God is and to pursue after. That the purpose of a man to be a godly man is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That sounds nice, right? Ambassadors have like cool offices and they have, you know, diplomatic immunity. They can do whatever they want and not go to jail in those countries. And God gives us this, this immunity from fear. We sung about it. It gives us this, this immunity to live for him. And we're ambassadors of Christ for what? The ministry of reconciliation. How great is that? Not the ministry of grumpiness, not the ministry of not living out my faith, but the ministry of healing relationships 
through that so that people may experience being drawn closer to Jesus Christ and becoming more like him. Because what we saw in verse 21 is what? It wasn't to go and tear their walls down. That's not what Artaxerxes said. He didn't go, let's just overtax them. Or let's just take their food away. Didn't do that either. What did he do? Let's just stop the men of God from being a man of God. Let's just do that. And you know what? The work stopped. It stopped. They quit rebuilding for the Lord. So let, let me give you a, 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 some context here to this one thing when we talk about a man's purpose is to be um, a godly man. A, a godly man is meant to build the kingdom of God. So here it's super specific in verse 21 where it's like, look, you're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. You're, you're rebuilding the temple. You're rebuilding your relationships and commitments to God. I mean, that's what's going on. Remember, the reason they have to rebuild is because their sin finally caught up with them. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't follow after God. And therefore, it, it crushed them all. And they were all sent out across the entire known world. Now, the Jews have returned. The Hebrews have returned. The Israelites have returned. And they're recommitting and they're rebuilding their relationship with God first as men. And then they're rebuilding that relationship with others that they're around. And a godly man is meant to build the kingdom of God. Let me share with you Luke 17, 20 through 21. Because I want us to have a clear understanding of what the kingdom of God is. Because they came to Jesus, right? The, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask this question. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he being Jesus answered them, the, the kingdom of God is, is not coming in ways that can be um, observed. Nor will they say like, look, here it is. Or look, over there. It's over there. Here's the mailing address for all the Amazon packages that go to the kingdom of God. That's not going to happen. But what Jesus says, he's like, behold. You're like, huh? Right? Behold is a grab your attention kind of word in scripture, which means looky here, y'all. Pay attention. See the whites of my eyeballs as I talk to you about this. And what does he say about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So Jesus and his disciples are standing there. Now, I'm not declaring in your next HR meeting or board meeting or the next time you go to work that you yell out, behold, the kingdom of God is here because I've arrived. But it's biblically true. Because if God lives in you because you are saved by faith of grace, then, then, then you are that. That's what he's saying, right? They're like, when's it going to come, right? When, when are you going to lay waste to the Romans? When's all these laws against us and these taxes going to, to go away? And Jesus is like, you're, you're missing the point. It's not the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God's hearts and minds of men, women, children, and teenagers. That's, that's the kingdom of God. You represent the kingdom of God, the body of Christ that exists. The nation of the United States of America is its people, not the trees and dirt. That's what makes a nation or a country. Just like what the home is, right? I've lived in different homes in my life, but still my family's my family no matter what our address is. Why? Because that's how family works. Now, hey, let me, let me talk about this part, right? Let's talk about salvation and the man and the one named Jesus Christ. Because if, if the one thing is to, and our God's purpose for every man is to be a godly man, then you have to start with salvation. So let me just hit you with Romans 5 and just tell you the state of, of every man that you ever meet. And this is, this is where we, we are sort of in this tension. So in Romans 5, 17, it says this. 
um, where it's talking about the difference between um, death in Adam and, and life in Christ. So you guys know, just real brief, chapters one, one through two, a little bit of three, things are going great. Earth's created, we haven't sinned yet, all that stuff. Then Genesis 3 happens, the servant, the apple, all that Eve takes place, sin enters into the world. And the Bible tells us, just like it does here, that all the trespasses or sins, that's one of the words, right? Sins of iniquity, sins of trespass, um, and then original sin. Those are kind of the three major biblical words for sin in the Bible. And what it's saying here is like, look, in Adam there's death, but there's life in Christ. Verse 17. That's why salvation is so important for every man. For if because of one man's trespasses, sin, death reigned, that one man much more, uh, that one man much more, who's will receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So what it's what it's telling us here is, um, apart from Jesus Christ, every man's going to die and every man's going to go to hell. That's what the thing is. Your the wages of your sin is going to be death. But but life in Christ comes through salvation, through the abundance of grace and that free gift of righteousness that He offers. So if you just simply say, yes, you are my Lord and my Savior. I confess that with my, I believe it in my heart. You should be a Christian. You should believe. So what he's telling us here is like, look, before you can be a godly man, you have to be saved, right? You just, you have to. In fact, you can read in scriptures all the time where people just try to do Christian-y things or godly things, but it doesn't make them that because they do it. It's because of the salvation that's in their heart. No one earns their way into heaven. It's already been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And then the empty tomb at Easter. So when we talk about salvation, whether you're watching online or you're here today, that's where every man must start. In order to be a godly man, you, you must be a, a Christian. You must be saved by grace through faith, through no works of your own. Because it's the free gift of God, so no one could boast. And man, men love to boast especially here. Fish stories literally happen. One is like, oh, a shark almost ate my bait to the next. I found Moby Dick and I caught it on a 10 pound test string line. And I'm like, I don't even know how to touch that. So many lies. I don't even know where to go with that. So what you see here is a desire and the understanding that there is death in Adam, right? We're, we're the human race. We come from Adam and Eve. But in Christ, we can be reborn of the Spirit so that we might then find ourselves as a whole new creation. So you have to start there. And how can we help um, men become Christian men and Christian men to live by faith? We remind them that having a greater resurrection after death is better than the accolades of this world. Because that's, that's often the tension at the point of salvation. They think what they're going to give up and lose in becoming a believer and a Christian is going to be so much more than what they actually gain. It's a lie of the devil that has happened for all of human history. Man, if you live for God, you might lose your job. Yeah, you might. But I'll tell you something about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't like, oh, man, you know, we could have just got along and been popular and fit in with everybody else. They were like, no. When I die and when they die and they go to heaven it'll be great rejoicing because they'll tell the story Jesus remember you showed up in that fiery furnace that was crazy right did you see how big King Nebuchadnezzar's eyes were it was insane how faithful you are I mean it's gonna be nuts 
I, I, I don't know how, I mean, I can understand why eternity has to be so long because it's gonna take that long for all of us to unpack all the things that God did and then to listen to other people unpack all the good things that God did in the midst of hardship, right? And especially when you run into that person in heaven that used to never let you get a word in edgewise on earth, they're gonna be the same in heaven. They're like 10,000 years, they're still going. But hey, we're praising the Lord, let's do it, right? So when you look at this guidance and this call for God, I mean, you, you just, you really have to help them to know the truth. And, and not only is it a, is a greater resurrection, but, it, but it's also just in this life, not always easy, but always better when you live and serve the Lord. Look at the guys in Daniel 6 who didn't even get to hit the floor, died with their families because they were consumed by the lions who just hours before kept the lion's mouth shut to protect God's faithful. You don't have to be worried about things that are, are going to try to consume you. Aware? Yeah. But if God can stop hungry lions from eating a man, then he can take care of you in your circumstance as well. And you know what? He will. He absolutely will. He absolutely will. So here's what we're talking about because I started thinking, I was like, the Lord, where do we go here? Um, here's how gracious God is. It was, it was a really great week in message prep. And when it was all said and done, and as I finally tweaked the last bit, I was like, wow, this is like a really good, like two hour message. And right now you're getting super nervous. You're like, we didn't bring snacks or the kids ate all the snacks. And then God's like, here, let's just whittle this down to a part of what's most important. What, what I wanna talk about is out of scriptures about making a godly man. Like how does that happen biblically? Like how do you do that, right? How do you train up a man to be godly and to reclaim that? So I wanna talk about some highlights out of Titus um, chapter two, verses one through 15. We're not gonna go through the verses. I'm not going to show them all, but this is a race that every man is called to run. This is a race that every man should be running. And this is a race that you can join in at any time. Like, you know, when you like run 5Ks or you like run marathons, you, you, you start there, the beginning, and then you run to the finish line. But when you're living for the Lord and you're running that journey, it doesn't matter what decade or how far along someone else is in the journey, you can just jump right in. So if you're standing on the line and living an, an ungodly life and you're watching godly men run by, you can throw your stuff down and jump in the race and get going. It doesn't matter how far along they are. So some people are going to jump in at mile like 20, right before the end of their days. And still that grace holds and still it goes and protects for them. So at any point, this can happen. Be not discouraged. But I, just, I'm gonna, I, want, I want to run th- just run through the list. Um, that it tells us in Titus chapter two, because this, this is what he's, you know, Paul's like, Titus, like this, here's how we bring out godly men. And remember what happened. The, the kingdom was, was stopped being rebuilt. Um, the relationships were put on pause because a king just said, men of God, stop. And they did, and everybody suffered. So when it talks about that in Titus chapter two, verses one through 15, you should go back and read it. It's got a lot of great things to say um, towards uh, um, older women and younger women as well. But for men, we're going to kind of hit these things. Um, first of all, it says teach sound doctrine, right? It just starts with that. In fact, that might be the heading in a lot of your scriptures. When it talks about teaching a sound doctrine, teach the Bible. That's what that is, right? Error-free teaching. You teach the Bible. It says be sober-minded, dignified. These are just qualities. And look, it's okay, dudes. You're not going to hit 100% on all of these lists. I'm not. It is a unique thing to preach to you and then, and then bring this word. And then God's like, ooh, you still need to work on that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'll just read that one real fast. Just do my mouth. But 
I'll just go through it, right? But dignified. This is just characteristics of a godly man, and many of these kind of bleed over into all as we're serving the God. Um, self-controlled, um, error-free in their faith, error-free in their love, error-free in their steadfastness. And the Bible teaches how to do all these things, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. Teach what is good. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself um, in all respects to be a model of good works. These are the, the goals in which men should strive to be. Um, your teaching shows integrity, dignity, and error-free speech that cannot be condemned. That's cool, right? You just can't be, you know, they can fact check you all they want. They're just going to find out it's biblically true. Um, to be submissive to their own masters, well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, uh, you don't steal. Um, showing all good faith in everything, um, you adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So Christ-likeness, everywhere you go, you, you love like Christ, you live like Jesus. Everywhere, all the time. No matter what it costs you. No matter what it costs you. Uh, and then it, it goes on to say in the, in the kind of the end of those little sections of scriptures, um, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What I love about this passage of scripture is how much God believes in us. Because when I read through that list, my just awareness goes, I, I fall so short of that. But I hear God in Christ and the Holy Spirit going, you can do that. I can empower you to do that. When I look at my two boys who are young, I could train them in that. I could teach them the Bible so that, so that they'll know and be able to make their response to, to God's grace as they move forward. So you're, you're sitting with God and the devil may say, you're never going to be that, don't try. And God just says, follow me and we'll do it. You could grow up into that. And I don't care how old you are. If you're here and you're 89 years old, if you remember when gas was a nickel a gallon, it doesn't matter. God could still use you to spur that on so that you might become more like Christ. Because you don't give up running the race. You keep pushing forward in the midst of this. And I love that about Christ. Because he says, in your salvation, a godly man has both become through salvation and is becoming through sanctification the embodiment of Christian Christ-likeness. So we don't have to figure out what people need to learn. We, we already know it. It's in the scriptures. And we can show them. Right? King David, following after the Lord, doing just like Jesse, going, you know what? My dad, Jesse, told me all these great things of God. Shows up to the front lines, this guy named Goliath just besmirching and running the name of God through the ground. What are you guys doing? Looks at his brother who he brought cheese to. Why are you not saying something about this? And in his willingness to be submitted to the Holy Spirit, does a great and mighty act of God in which we all talk about and all believe and we all now know that whatever giant comes in your life, God can slay. So we look and we move forward in this and we say, yes, Lord. So this is God's desire for every man to be seen as this man, to fulfill God's sovereign will, to move after and push forward in such a way. So, so these are things that we can yet to become. And don't you love people like that who look at you and go, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I mean, I see weaknesses. I understand that. But, but here's who you can grow up to be like in all the methods, in all the places that I put you in. You can become this way. These 
teachings need to be out there more. These examples need to be shown more to other people. It's not like a good suggestion. Hey, if you think you can fit it in, maybe try one of these. You know what? If you get there and, and there's room to be got. No, he's like, look, you got two options when you're in the lion's den. You got two options when you're in a fiery furnace. You get burned up or God saves you. You get ate up or you get delivered. And only God can do that. There's no way Daniel could have ran around in that lion's den and just kept smacking lions' mouths shut so they didn't eat him. Could have happened. No way. There's no way when you're sitting before the fiery furnace of life and those doors open and other people around you getting consumed that you're ever going to be able to overcome that fire that consumes unless what? God's got a hold of your heart, man. And unless you're living your room, it's the only way through. It's the only way through deliverance. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he raises that big banner up and says, follow me, here we go. And you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to have wounds and all kinds of stuff you wish didn't happen. But you still move forward with the limps, with the warts, with the wrinkles, with the victories, with the celebrations, and with the praise in order for them to know and to move forward in that. So how can we help men become more like the man God created them to be? Because that's what God did, right? Every person, every one of you, when you were made, God is just completely full of hopes and dreams and the awareness of the dangers that await, the things that are happening. He sees ahead all the obstacles and pitfalls that are coming your way and still has all this hope. And then he's like, well, here's what I'm going to do because they can't even I'm going to send my son Jesus and he's going to live and he's going to die. And he's in the Old Testament. And he's after the new, he's seen resurrected. And he sends all this way so that you have the, the best opportunity in his sovereignty to become that, a man of God. And then he warriors and defeats against anything that would keep that from happening. Isn't that crazy? Controls the elements of fire, controls the, the creation of animals, controls the, the passing of laws by government in order for you to thrive and succeed. How can we help them to be? By being an example of godliness as we journey through life together. So what did Jesus say um, at the end of Matthew? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you in the Bible. Oh, and by the way, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Super awesome. Jesus, what do we do here? Easy, here, boom. Jesus, what do we do here? It's going to be hard, but let's do this. And he pushes us, and he leads us, and he guides us, and he disciplines us, and he blesses us so that we might become that purpose which he created. So you can be most prepared and most ready for the eternity that waits to not get too comfortable and too rooted in the world, but be ready when the deliverance of death comes so that you might live forever with him as opposed to separated from who he is. Man, what a good truth. What a good truth. We know we exist to bring God glory and make disciples. It's in the Bible. It's in there. It's why you were made. Now, many of you do it in different ways because God's infinitely creative, but you were created to bring God glory and make disciples. That's the goal. Even when we talked about here with men, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I love the word urged, you know, because it's got a little hot sauce on it. You know what I'm saying? It's not just, just talk about it. Hey, guys, can you just try to be self-controlled? 
Let me tell you something. When I'm doing an urge, yeah, it's a little different. When I'm hungry, I'm eating, like ugly eating, just ugh, right? So it's like urge, and that's the kind of pastor we get here. And being men being godly is an important aspect of why we exist. Just because there's more people who don't believe in Jesus is not the way that God wants it to be. It's not. It's not what he's there. He desires that all are saved. He doesn't want us to be quiet. He wants us to live it out more, to be men who share the love of Christ, who, who um, love their wives as themselves, who does all these things. And this is just a concentrated version. You want to know what it's like to be a godly man? All of the scripture has stuff on that. And there are plenty of examples of dudes that fell on their face and God saved them. Plenty of examples where dudes fell on their face and they never got up again because it cost them everything. So we know we exist to bring God glory. So based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? That's what I, I really loved um, about that verse in Romans 5, 17, where it talks about um, the reign, the righteous reign of life um, through Jesus Christ, the man, right? Behold the man, Jesus Christ. Let's talk about our worship for a second here. Only a saved man can be a godly man. Doesn't work any other way. Receive the abundant grace of faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. In order to embark on the reason that you were created to bring God glory and make disciples as a man, you must first be saved. The number one pinnacle, the number one relationship that you will ever have to seek and, and please after is that relationship with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's number one. Because we already saw in Daniel chapter 6 what happens when a household of a man who doesn't live that way goes. The entire family suffers, even unto death. But we also see what happens in households when that does take place, when men do live for Christ. So I would say to you, call on the name of the Lord and be saved, Joel 2.32. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Because it's with your heart that you believe under justification. It's your mouth that you confess under righteousness. When we talk about community, here's what I'd say about this. This is easy. So when you're out, two or more people, men, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So there's, there's no turning green and hawking out on stuff, right? Unless it's righteous indignation, but that's another message. I don't want to muddy the waters with that. But I would say this, self-controlled, upright, wise, righteous, and godly lives. Show all, it says here, show all the good faith through good work um, for a good God, our Savior. I mean, that's why you do everything. You bring that out and help them to know that. You help them to uh, understand and, and, and to see underneath what's going on. And they go, what, how are you so poised here? Did he kind of seem to know the right decisions to make? Why are, your, why are your responses always this way at work or where you worship or where you live or recharge yourself? And I say it's because it's the, it's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God. It's, it's, it's Jesus that I'm seeking to, to model after. So community, you just tell people. You just tell people. Dude, I was at the gas station the other day, right? Man, you want to help people deal with stuff? Go to a gas station. So I'm just pumping gas, right? Just sitting there, lottie die, praying various prayers after seeing the prices. And um, this person shows up on the other side, right? And just starts unloading on the gas pump about, let's just say, various struggles that they're having, to put it nicely. 
And uh, I, I listened to that, and, just, and then they, then they got a little deep. They got real. I don't know if they knew I was listening. Didn't even care if they did. And she's I don't know how I'm gonna do this and the groceries and that and man, if I'm paying this much for that and to do this. And uh, I sort of peeked around the gas pump because I can't help myself and I'm glad I can't. And I was like, hey. And her eyes got real big. You know, because I have a beard that sometimes intimidates people. Um, you know why you don't have to worry? Still not talking. And I could see that this may not go well. Um, but I said, you know what? You don't have to worry. Because you can trust Jesus to provide for all that you have. And I understand that this is hard. And, I, you know, I'm there too, like everybody else, just trying to be wise and figure that out. But if you trust in Jesus, he's going to take care of you. And then I unpeaked from behind the gas station. And just went about my regular business and walked away. Right? No massive conversion. You know, no, where's the nearest body of water? Let's baptize now. Just a seed planted to say, hey, look, when your community self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Because when people process hard things in their life, who's going to deliver them? You? No. Even if the Lord told you to go and pay for their gas or pay for their food, you would still say what? I'm doing this out of the love of Christ that bears itself forth in this life. So he's the one that's doing that because every good and perfect gift comes from above. See what I did there? We talked about that earlier. It does, right? It's not on you. It's for him. So here's a great way to serve others, though, because you're thinking about men. Like, how can we get to that, right, to ungodly lives and, and living for him? And I don't do it perfect all the time, but I, I try to fumble a lot in that. But the goal is to just, just trying to run, right, just trying to run. And sometimes I'm trying to run through life like uh, a, a new kid trying to learn how to walk. You ever seen those kids that are just learning how to walk and how they run? And it's just like so much extra calories burned and it's just spasmic running and flailing. And eventually as you get older, you get a little tighter with, with how you run. Sometimes I my Christian face like that. I'm just like all over the place, just trying to figure things out. Just literally overly zealous at times. But in order to, to get that, here's what fuels it, guys. Here's what fuels it. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus. It's Jesus' way um, every day. And it's hard, right? Because you're like denying myself, okay, uh, then I just need to just not do certain things. But then it's prefaced with the context of the next part, which is what? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Like you can't cutesy-tootsie that, right? You can't even just let it be, I'm just going to deny and no longer going to say this word or think this thought. Because when you're taking up your cross, it really fills in the gaps and says what? You're going to die. At no point in human history has the cross represented anything other than that, biblically speaking. Like Jesus, when you carry the cross, you're going to your death. And like Jesus, who followed God's goodwill, you're following Christ in Jesus' way every day. So when it says deny yourself, it's more than being a good person. It's completely laying yourself out for all that God is without worry for the consequences, right? A fully devoted man of God does not have to worry about how things should be provided for because God's going to take care of him. Now, it doesn't mean he gets to sit back, kick his feet up in his man cave and go, that's okay, I'm faithful, I read my Bible, God's gonna take care of stuff. 
That's not what we're saying. We're saying the faithful man who serves and pursues after goes. Because what's lost? What's lost? Ezra 4.21. The work of God ceases and it stops. And I know how dangerous that is because I've hit the pause button in my own spiritual growth. My family suffered. My wife has suffered. I've suffered. And all those around do too. The ripple effect becomes a tsunami that washes over and people don't see Christ. I just, that's the price I don't want to pay. But to deny myself a job. So here's, here's how we, we multiply this. Not rocket science. Godly men make other godly men. Help others to be like Jesus. Ungodly men make what? Other ungodly men. It doesn't mean we don't continue to witness and we don't continue to share, absolutely. But when it comes to this point of that, in order to multiply the truth and, and, and this one thing we're going to look at here in a second, that's what we need. We need more godly men teaching other godly men how to do it. And you don't have to be great at all those areas. You just have to share and work in the journey. Because after all, when people see my flaws and my weaknesses, I boast in them, as Paul says, in order to what? To draw the attention to the strength and power of Jesus Christ that rests on me. Yes, I struggle in these areas. Yes, these are hard things. Oh, yes, this seems like I do well. But why? Because God's gifted or given me talents in order to pursue those. Or because God picked me up out of the mud of life and said, here, let me clean you off and let's do this right. So godly men make other godly men. We're created and we exist to make disciples, to help them be that way. Now, let me tell you something. It's awesome. It's so helpful. I could go on and on in story after story about how that permeates. But I can also tell you it is a desperate need in our town. It's a desperate need in our communities that godly men speak up. They're already speaking up about the other stuff. So why not introduce Christ out there? I go, look, there is a better way. And it's not my way. It's his way. So let's look at the one thing one last time. The one thing one last time. God's purpose for a man is to be a godly man. So never, does it matter, ladies? Does it matter, guys? Whenever you run into a man, this is God's purpose for them. Because it wouldn't be the other way, right? God's purpose isn't for them to be ungodly. No, that is not it. It is to be godly. And there's so much goodness at stake for others when they do it. And in the context of relationship and God's infinite wisdom, power, and presence, this is what he's chosen. The context of relationship, the framing of family in order to make that happen. How did I learn to fish? My papa and my dad taught me how to bait a hook. How did I learn to work on car stuff? Dad taught me. How do I learn a lot of things? You just watch someone else do it, then you get to do it, and then you do it on your own. So we just encourage you and challenge that. So here's the 